Yeah, we're very grateful for this time together. WWJD. I bet most of you remember that, don't you? What would Jesus do? We had bracelets, T-shirts, bumper stickers, encouraging us to examine life's situations by asking, what would Jesus do? And then act accordingly. I, I think there's a lot of good in that. We, we certainly want to live as, as Jesus did. But, but sometimes I, I think that might not be as easy to say, but sometimes I think we need to, to remember W-H-J-D. What has Jesus done? Amen. And, and let the objective reality of what Jesus did affect what we think, how we live, and how we relate to one another. Uh, John 17, is, as you know, is, is a record of a, a beautiful prayer that Jesus is praying for his people. And, and this prayer is essentially Jesus praying for the application of what he has accomplished for his people. He's essentially praying for the outworking of what he has done in the lives of his people. And he prays for the 12 disciples, and then he turns his attention to us. If you see in verse 20, he says, I do not pray for these alone, that is the disciples, but, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. We have heard the apostolic proclamation of the gospel, and, and we have believed. And so we're going to read an actual prayer that Jesus prayed for you and for me. And we will see that he prays for a number of things. He prays that we'll be unified. He prays that we will be with him. He prays that we will see his glory. But primarily what we're going to see is that Jesus' prayer for his people is that relationally we would have what he has. That is that we would know God as our Father and that we would know the love of God the Father. So we're going to look at God's relationship and, and the root of that relationship and then we want to look at Jesus' request and the realization of that request and then we want to think a little bit about our response. So let's begin reading in in verse 20 of John chapter 17, this is God's inspired and inerrant word. Hear it. Jesus prays, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me 
For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We pray for your blessings at this time. We pray, Spirit of God, that you would give us understanding, that you would apply these truths to our heart, that we might love you more and walk in obedience to you in all things. And we pray this in Jesus' name. So let's first of all think about God's relationship and, and think about the root of that, that relationship. We'll, we'll look primarily here again at verse 21. Jesus prays that, that all of them may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And then at the end of verse 24, he says, you love me before the foundation of the world. So, so not to get too complicated, but let's have a, a little bit of a theology lesson, and we'll do it here at the beginning, because I remember some of you usually didn't make it to the end of the sermon. So while we're still a, a, a little bit alert, let's, uh, let's, let's think about some maybe some complex issues a little bit, but, but this is not some ivory tower irrelevance. This is really vital to us understanding God and, and his relationship to himself and his relationship to us. So, so Jesus mentions some things here that, that really bring our attention to three truths about the nature of God. We, we see that God is, is Trinity, that God is a, is a triune God, that he is, there is one God, and that God, that one God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is one God, there's one divine will, and yet that God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person totally God, and yet each distinct from the other. Now, there's a second truth we see here, and that is that God is eternal. Jesus says, we have been together. You have loved me from the before the foundations of the world. That God is eternal. There's never a time when God did not exist. In fact, the psalmist says in, in Psalm 90, verse 2, from, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Not you have been God, not you will be God. You are God. Forever, eternally, he is God. Now, there's a third truth that we see here, and that is, that God is love, that, that the essential nature, in fact, of God is love. Not only does God love, but he is love. John says in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. And this love of God is always other-focused, isn't it? The Bible says that for God so loved the world that what? He gave. 1 John 4, 8, or 1 10. 4.10 says that not that we loved him here in his love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son. So the love of God, love in the Bible is always an other focused love. So if God is eternal and God is love and has always loved with an other focused love, how is this possible when nothing existed? Well, it's possible because God is a trinity. That from all eternity, there was other focused love, the Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Father, 
the Spirit loving the Son and the Father. Within the divine Godhead from all eternity, the very nature of God was love. Now, this is important because you see the, the false gods, for example, the false god of Islam, the false god of Jehovah's Witnesses, the false god of Mormonism, they cannot be eternal loving beings because before creation, who was the recipient of their other focused love? They could not possess because they could not express this very foundational aspect of God's very being. But the one true God is love and has loved eternally. In his divine nature, in his true nature, he is love. So from all eternity, the persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have known love and have exercised perfect fellowship and love. So the very nature of God eternally is love. So before creation, not to be a smart aleck, although I don't mind being that, if we ask the question, what was God doing before creation? Well, the answer is loving himself. What was the father doing before creation? He was loving the son. In fact, from all eternity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit were enjoying a perfect, eternal, other-focused love. So from all eternity, God is love. From all eternity, God has loved. And in eternity past, the Father was loving the Son. Now, what about during his earthly ministry? Because God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, became flesh. And as a man, he lived as a man. Well, a couple of things we probably remember in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus was baptized. In Matthew chapter 17 and verse 5, Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration. In both of those occasions, you remember the Father spoke from heaven. And what does he say? In both occasions, this is my what? Beloved Son. This is the Son that I love. In fact, he said, I take delight in him. In John chapter 3 and verse 35, Jesus said, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. In John 15, 10, Jesus said, I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now, all of this to say that the heart of Jesus' relationship with the Father is love. In his nature, in eternity past, in his humanity. From all eternity, the Son has known the love of the Father and has delighted to know God the Father. And now, and now in the person of Jesus Christ, this eternal, other-focused, immense, infinite, immeasurable love of the Father has come raining down upon us. Like a, a swollen river rushing over its banks, the Father's love has overflowed from the Son to us. Amen. So that those who are in Christ by faith, as he says in verse 20, those who have believed 
in me can know God as Father and can know this Father's love. So the relationship that the Father has with the Son is now the same between the Father and those who are in the Son through faith. Now, this reality of the love of the Father for the Son raining down upon those who are in the Son through faith, that reality is Jesus's request. So let's read again what he prays in verse 26. I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you love me may be in them. Jesus is praying for us to know what he knows. He's praying for us to delight in what delights him, that we would delight in having God as our father and that we would delight in knowing his Love and that this would be foundational. It would be the very nature of our relationship with God in our lives and in all that we do. In fact, look at verse 23, at the very last phrase of verse 23. Jesus prays, and have loved them as you loved me. That little word as means to the same degree. It means in proportion to. So just like the Father loves the Son, so he loves those who are in the Son by faith. Now listen, if Jesus hadn't said this, this would be impossible for us to believe. But what Jesus says and what Jesus prays is if you are in union with Jesus Christ by faith, then God is your Father and he loves you to the same degree that he loves Jesus. <clears throat> that God the Father loves you to the same degree that he loves the Son. Amen. There's nothing that can make his love any more. That's right. There's nothing that can make his love any less. No wonder John shouted in 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has showered upon us that we might be called the children of God. And it's not because of who you are. It's not because of what you've done. It's not because of what you have. It's because it is his nature to love, and he delights in loving his people. Amen. Jesus prays for us as the adopted children of God that we would delight in knowing God the Father as the good, gracious, generous, kind Father who loves us. Now we would be remiss if, if we did not go a step further and think about the realization of this request because Jesus desires this prayer so much that he not only prays this prayer in his high priestly prayer, but he will actually get up from this prayer and he will go to the cross to make this request a reality. 
It is that Jesus not only prays that we will know God as Father and that we will delight in his love, he actually provides the means to make it happen. So when Jesus goes to the cross, not only does he show us the Father's love, he actually secures a relationship with God for us. So we read in Romans 5 that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when Christ died, he did a lot of things. But in the context of this message, we think about what Jesus did specifically to bring us into a relationship with God. Well, he redeemed us. And the, the word redemption and the idea of redemption goes all the way back to the law in Exodus chapter 21 and verse 28. God is giving a part of the law to the people and he's talking about bulls that are running around. Y'all could probably relate to that. <laughs> so the Bible says a bull escapes and it gores a man and the man is killed. Then the bull is taken out and executed. But the owner of that bull is free from liability. But then if somebody comes along and says, wait a minute, that's the same bull that killed my cousin three months ago. He got out then. And somebody else says, well, I think you're right. That's the same bull that got out last year and killed my uncle then all of a sudden, it's not just a matter of executing the bull. Then the owner of that bull is liable. And he's liable for the deaths of those that were killed by the bull. And he himself faces execution unless there is a price named for those who have died and he pays that price. And if he pays that price, then he is freed from the guilt that he has incurred. And so this idea of redemption in the cross of Christ is simply that, that when Jesus Christ died, he paid the redemption price that was due for our liability, for our guilt, so that we are freed from that liability. And then Paul goes on in Romans 5, 9, and he says, therefore, having been justified by his blood, to be justified simply means to be placed in a right standing with God. And so when Christ died on the cross, he did what was necessary to bring us into a right relationship with God. So here we are at the cross of Christ. Here is the substitute the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world, laying down his life, and he's doing more than showing us that God loves us. He's paying the penalty of our sin. He's providing everything necessary to, for us to be brought into a right standing with God. And at that point, something wonderful happens. We, through faith, become the adopted children of God. Amen. And because of what Christ has done, God adopts us as his own. Listen to the way Paul expresses it in Romans chapter 8 
He says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit and we are, that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. Not, not only are we adopted, but we're adopted as joint heirs with Christ. That means we're given the same standing before God as Christ. That in Christ, we are the adopted children of God. And what Jesus is praying us for, understand this, because the Father loves us, he sent his son. That's what Jesus prays in verse 25. Can I, can I pause very quickly just to say this? That sometimes we use this analogy of a courtroom where the father is the judge and we're standing before him and the, the son is our advocate. And, and that's an accurate picture. I use that picture, but there's a danger in that. And the danger is that we think the father is like up there just really angry and that he wants to destroy us. In fact, he wants to wipe us out. And somehow the son comes along and keeps us from mean old father judge. Well, listen, God is the judge and God is a God of holy wrath. But understand, Jesus says the father sent him. Amen. And the Father sent him because he loves us. The Father paid our due through his own Son. There is one God and one divine will, and they're never divided in their purpose. The Father loves you, so he sent the Son. The Son loves you, and he loves the Father, so he went to the cross so that we would know the Father's love as he does. And in Christ, the Father accepts us and showers us with his love because we are his children. Praise the God. songwriter wrote, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make this wretch his treasure. Do, do you know that love today? Are you delighting in that love today? So your Savior prayed and he paid that today you might rest in the Father's love. J.I. Packer said, if, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his Father. This is all I want to do today is remind you of this great truth because there's nothing greater. <clears throat> and just to remind you that Jesus prays that you will delight in the love that the Father has for you. So Jesus prays for us to know and believe this truth because this truth is an anchor for your soul. This is the truth that will drive us to worship. This is the truth that is the basis of our fellowship. This is the truth that, 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 that compels us to serve the Lord. And yet, as great as this blessing is, it's, it's often neglected, isn't it? 
And it's often neglected because other things clamor for our affection and, and our delights and, and our love. There, there's an amazing verse in, in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Can, can I keep going, brother, just a few more minutes? I'm sorry. Um, you know, I, I hadn't preached in English in three and a half years. So. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 27. There, there's an amazing verse. Think, think about what God did for the people of Israel from the ten plagues and the Passover out of Egypt across the Red Sea through the wilderness. Gives them the law of God to lead their, to guide their lives. Gives them the tabernacle as a reminder of God's presence in their midst. Gives them water when there's no water. Gives them food when there's no food. Protects them from their enemies. Takes them through the wilderness. Takes them to the land of promise brings them to the very precipice of entering the land of the pro land of promise and they said no they went back into the wilderness 40 years later that unbelieving generation has died off and they're back and Moses is giving them the book of Deuteronomy basically it is a restating of the law and Moses said do you remember when our forefathers came to this very place do you remember what they said they said, the Lord hates us. The Lord hates us. All that God had done, all that God had done to bring them to that point. And they reach one little river. They reach one little obstacle. And all of a sudden, they're saying, the Lord hates us. And in verse 32 of the same chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 1, God says, you said that because you stopped believing. You stopped believing. Other things clamored for your attention. Well, how, how do we abide and, and grow in this love of the Father? Well, it, it is a work of grace, isn't it? It's something that God does, and, and certainly, as in all spiritual things, we trust in his grace, and yet he, he uses means to accomplish his purpose. So could I, could I very quickly just give you three words to help us to respond to this? The, the first word is, is fight. Is fight. Fight. Some of you like to fight. <laughs> Listen, we live in a culture that is obsessed with self and life is all about self-esteem self-actualization self-fulfillment where even god is reduced to a means of us getting what we think we need to be all that we want to be and then all of a sudden we're not in the position we dreamed about we're not esteemed we're not fulfilled and we think Maybe God doesn't love me after all. We live in a society that obsesses over possessions and, and life is consumed with consumption. And the measure of success is how much stuff is stuffed into our lives. And then all of a sudden one day we don't have the latest thing. We can't afford what our neighbor has. And we think, huh, maybe God doesn't love me after all. 
We live in a society that is obsessed with achievement and life is all about earthly success and status and we fill our shells with trophies of past wins and we fill our minds with the glory of future victories and then one day we lose. We don't get the promotion. We're not noticed. Like, maybe God doesn't love me. Sometimes we believe the lie that God's love is based on what we do and who we are. And so we, we try harder. We follow the rules. We, we work more. And then we inevitably fail. And in our failure, we think, there's no way God could love me. Maybe we believe the lie that if we're in God's love, that we'll be healthy and we'll have plenty of money and we'll be comfortable. And then we lose our job. We get sick, a loved one dies, a child rebels, and we conclude, I must not have believed or else God must not love me. All these are deceitful distractions that discourage us and deter us so that we find ourselves doubting the truth. Listen, church, we have to fight that temptation. Every day we have to fight those delusions and those deceits and those distractions with the truth of God's word. We have to fight by not delighting in the passing passions of this world, but to rest in the knowledge of God, which is true in Christ. So how do we most effectively fight? The second word is faith. We believe and we trust in the finished work of Christ and in the word of God. Sometimes I'll hear people who are going through hard times and they'll say something like, boy, life has just been so hard. I just, I just wish that God would show me his love. Oh, I just wish that God would give me a sign. Can I, can I say this with kindness and with patience? Because I, I want to be understanding that we all go through difficult times. But what do you expect God to do? What do you expect him to say? He sent the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ came and he lived a perfect life. He revealed God to us. He taught the truth to us. He died for our sins and we can have a relationship with God. He rose victoriously over the grave to give us eternal life. He ascended back to glory so that he can pray for us by the throne of God. What more can he say than to you he has said? Amen. How much more powerfully can he show you his love? How much more eloquently can he demonstrate and say his love? The truth is, we don't need another sign. We don't need a mystical experience. We don't need a dream or a revelation. We need to believe God. Amen, that's right. Paul says in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love for us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's true or it's not. 
So we believe it or we don't. John said in 1 John 4, 10, here is love that God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's true or it's not. What has Jesus done? Perseverance is produced by the precious promises of God. So we fight and we fight through faith. We read God's word. We believe God's word. We receive what Christ has done on our behalf. Someone once said, faith is both the first responsibility of the Christian life and the continuing imperative of Christian living. We're saved by grace through faith and we live by grace through faith. I don't mean that to be unkind. And if you're going through something difficult today, I understand it's hard. We, we like tangible things. But listen, there is no objective reality that's greater than what Jesus Christ has done. Amen. We need to have faith in the promises of God. So how do we abide? We fight. We faith. Lastly, we focus. We focus. And we focus our hearts and minds on Jesus. You know, the greatest way to abide in the love of the Father is to make much of the Son. Wow. We had a guest speaker when I was working at Prince Edward Christian School, speaking to our, our high school. I didn't know him, but my daughter Lydia did, and Lydia had recommended him. And he came to speak, and when he stood up, I introduced him, and he said, you know, I, I really don't know David, but I know Lydia. And he started talking about Lydia. What a wonderful young lady Lydia was. What a great example Lydia was. And you know what? I was, I was like, dude, you don't need to say anything about me. <laughs> you, you made me as happy as anybody could be. I want to tell you, if you're a father or a grandfather or mom or grandmother, you know that. Someone makes much of your children or grandchildren, you're good. They're your friend forever. The Father delights in us glorifying the Son. The Spirit came to glorify the Son. So focus your heart and mind on Jesus. Learn about Jesus. Think about the gospel. It is by the Son that we know God is our Heavenly Father. So the Father's love will be a growing, abiding reality as we set our minds on Christ. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. What would Jesus have us to do? He would have us remember that he has, through his sacrifice, given us a relationship with our Heavenly Father who loves us with an everlasting love. He would have us remember that and rest in that as the foundation of our souls and our life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Father, thank you for the willingness of these dear people to listen. Even though I've gone a bit over, thank you for their patience. Thank you for their willingness to hear. And we pray that your spirit would help us to more than hear with our ears. 
that you would plant this truth deep in our hearts that it might be foundational to our lives. May you bless the remaining time together for your sake in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to have